Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. in this new series, 30-Minute Theology. Um, I think most of us were here last week. If you weren't here last week, it is online. I do encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's pretty much foundational and um, necessary for the rest of the series because we talked about where to start, right? And where do we start? with the Bible, that we have these things that kind of shape our theology and knowing who God is and what he's about, and all these things kind of are held up by Scripture. Scripture is the ultimate authority. It's the thing that's written down, the thing that that has stood the test of time that we can prove over and over again is historically accurate, and that's the thing that we bounce the rest of our theology off of. But But the Scriptures, the Bible, is not always clear on certain aspects. And there's people who can read the Bible and interpret it one way and people who can read it and interpret it the other. So that's where we use things like tradition and experience and reason to kind of figure out who God is and what he wants for us. Now, the the problem with that is we are... Uh, finite creatures. You know what I mean by that? Like we have a final, we have an ending. We can't understand and know absolutely everything. But God is outside of space and time. He is infinite. And so for us to try to understand God is always going to be trying to fit him into some kind of box. And God can't be put in a box, right? And it's really interesting because as I've been reading and studying this, I look at theologians, pastors, people from both sides of certain arguments and how they just absolutely tear down the other side and they absolutely accuse them. Both sides accuse them of putting God in a box. But here's the deal. We're all kind of doing that, right? And and it's important to understand and know God because it shapes our life and we have to do it with humility. And so as I go through this series, I want you to know that I'm going through it with humility, but we need to understand that theology does matter. I, uh, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you have because it was all over the news for a, a good two or three years, but the Westboro Baptist Church, you guys know who they are, right? They're picketing funerals of 
fallen soldiers. They're going and they're picketing churches and they're doing all these things and they're causing all this hate and torment. And of course, the news loves to highlight the bad Christians, right? And they give this bad name out there. And there's an interview, an, an interview that's done interviewing one of the girls who's actually left the church. And she just sits there, sits there and talks and says, I believed that I was doing right. I believed that I was loving my neighbor by picketing the funeral, letting them know that, that what they're doing is wrong. And that is bad theology. People ran from the church. Families, grieving families were deeply hurt. And this all stems from bad theology. That's not loving your neighbor. That's not what Jesus was about. And so it's important that we understand and study God. So we go back to last week. How do we do that? We understand and we read the Bible. Here's a fun question. Why do we have the Bible? right? Why do we have the Bible? I heard somebody illustrate it kind of like a birth certificate, right? The Bible from beginning to end is about Jesus. And the reason we have the Bible is because Jesus died and rose from the grave. If he doesn't, if Jesus isn't real, if Jesus doesn't rise from, doesn't rise from the grave, if Jesus isn't there, there's nothing to write about. So like for me, I have a birth certificate, but that birth certificate is there. It's real because I'm born, right? If it, you could have that, but that doesn't mean anything if I'm not real. Does that make sense? So everything kind of stems around Jesus and the scripture, and God reveals himself through Jesus. So let me, let me kind of, this is kind of dense, kind of heavy, so let me kind of explain it like this. Lauren and I, early in our relationship, I realized that she wasn't as holy as me when it came to taking a nap on Sunday afternoons, all right? She was not a nap taker, and all good Christians take a nap on Sunday afternoon, am I right? Okay, and so we would get back from church, and, and I would be tired, and I, usually there would be like a group of us, and we'd like gather in somebody's apartment, and we'd watch a movie, and 90% of us would fall asleep while watching that movie or watching a sports game or something like that. <laughs> and that's what we did, right? And, and so we would, come, we would get to the apartment, and we would like chill on the couch, on the chair, something something like that, and we'd all be watching the movie, and I would always be trying to go to sleep, and Lauren would always be annoying me, okay? She would, like, pinch me, jab me in the side, try to talk to me, all these, <laughs> all these things. It was, it, was, it was so annoying because I wanted to sleep, and she did not want to sleep, and so I ended the relationship and moved on. No, 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 we all know that's not true. That's not true. <laughs> and the reason this didn't happen was because Lauren revealed something about herself to me. See, she likes to have her arm tickled. And that's where you just kind of lightly brush the arm back and forth. And she's actually passed this on to Addie Lee, right? So there's times when Addie Lee starts to get restless, you can tickle her arm and she'll just kind of freeze and let you tickle her arm. And, I, and Lauren said, she, early in our relationship, revealed that she loved to be tickled. So when, when she started to get to that breaking point where I was like, woman, leave me alone. I want to take a nap, right? When we get to that point, I would start tickling her arm. And she would stop. She would freeze because it would feel nice. And within minutes, she would go to sleep. And our relationship was saved, right? <laughs> our relationship was saved because she, see, the joy of the nap came when she revealed herself to me. You see what I'm getting at? 
The joy of knowing God comes because he has revealed himself to us. We can't, and this is what I'm getting at today, but we can't reach out and know God. He had to do something first. And he revealed himself through, through all kinds of things. Like the uh, one ancient church father said, the book of nature, right? He reveals himself in creation. You can, if you've ever gone camping or gone to the Grand Canyon or got, climbed Stone Mountain and looked out, there's a sense of awe that you feel that's undeniable, right? And that points to a creator. But then there's also you know, our conscience and the, the Holy Spirit speaking to us that points to a creator. And, and then there's things, and ultimately there's scripture and even beyond scripture is Jesus, right? And these are all ways that God reveals himself to us. And so by, we have to go to, to those things to study God, ultimately to the scriptures and to Jesus. So what does the Bible say about us? Well, if you start in Genesis, which I actually recommend starting in maybe John, because that's one of the gospels that tells us about Jesus, right? If, you, if we hold just the Bible by itself and you start obeying it from Genesis 1, it's like, I don't know, three books in before you can have shellfish, right? So it's important that we understand Jesus and that the whole Bible from beginning to end, Genesis to Revelation, is about Jesus. But it kind of starts off with this story, right? And you've got God. Of course, that one doesn't work. So you've got God. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit from the beginning of time, right? And they're in this perfect community, this perfect harmony. And then they, they create, he creates us, man and woman, right? And so you've got these two relationships. You've got this horizontal relationship, and you've got this vertical relationship. And then something happens, right? Something happens, and Adam and Eve, they sin, and the sin comes in and it, and it corrupts us, right? It's kind of, if you think about, if I've got a glass of water, right? This perfectly pure, filtered glass of water, Holler, water boy, right? Have you ever seen water boy when he drinks that Alaskan blue water or whatever it is? I've got this perfect glass of water and I put one drop of poison into it. The whole water is now poison, right? There, it, it all mixes in. There's no separating it. If I drink it, I'm done, right? There, there's no separating. You got this whole corruption. Genesis 6, 5, going to the Bible, says this, that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So we sin, and when we sin, we my marker's not working, but we break these relationships, right? We break these relationships, and I don't really even have to explain that because we all know what it's like to, to experience broken relationships. I, I have in my family, I'm a, it's kind of recent, so I don't want to share names and stuff, but there is, there is bad theology that has left a broken relationship where parts of the family don't even want to speak to each other because of, because of honestly bad theology, right? So we, we have to understand that relationships are broken because of this sin, and this corrupts us from the very beginning. So we have to understand that we are spiritually dead, not sick, not sick like we can get, take some medicine and get ourselves better, but dead, completely evil, unable to know God. And this is kind of, this was hard for me when I first started learning this in college. It kind of broke me because I wanted to believe the good in everybody. And, and one of the things I had a problem with was if we're all so dead and we're all so bad, then how do bad people 
who aren't Christians do good, right? Because that happens. Charity happens all the time. And ultimately, what we have to understand is that this is not bad in actions, but it's evil in heart. So if you, the Bible kind of looks at these two different perspectives. Of, if I tell you that you shouldn't steal and you go your whole life without stealing, right? Then you've obeyed me. You've been good in that sense. But you don't really love me just because you don't steal, does that make sense? So there's, this, there's a difference between obedience, keeping a command, and loving God with our heart. And there's no way for us to reach out and know God. And just kind of to, to throw some Bible at you, there's a lot of verses. This is a, a theme throughout all of Scripture. I read Genesis, but John 6, says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Right? It starts with God. Romans 3, 10 through 11 says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Jeremiah 13, 23, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Saying just like you can't go and change your skin color, you can't change the fact that you're evil. It's like, it's like a lion, right? If you take a lion and you put it in a cage and then you go and it's hungry, it hasn't eaten in a while, and you put a bowl of wheat and a bowl of meat in front of it, which one is it going to go after? the bowl of meat, right? It, there, there's no changing it. He has no ability to go for the way. He is a meat eater and he will go to the meat every single time because that's who he is. We are fallen sinners. We will always try to please self. We will always be about our own ability, our own triumph, our own me, making me the God. We can't, we don't have the ability to reach out and get to God. I've heard uh, one pastor, I heard a youth pastor say this at a camp one time. He's trying to get the kids to surrender their lives, right? And he says, if you will just get up and start walking towards the altar, God will meet you halfway. God, you don't have the ability to meet God halfway. If you're going to know him, he has to come to you first. There's no halfway. There's no me involved. There's uh, another way is God doesn't help those who help themselves, You don't have the ability to do enough good to reach out and come to know God. And this is, why does this matter, right? Because this is, let's be honest, this isn't good news, right? So I'm completely corrupt, totally deprived. That's the the terminology. If you you study some of the theology, it says totally deprived, right? But why does this matter? It doesn't sound like good news. But if I'm honest with you guys this morning, it changed my life. It changed my life when I learned that I'm completely corrupt and I can't find God on my own. And here's why. I was saved at an early age, right? Went to the altar, had this experience, didn't really know what was going on, but I knew that I, I saw at a play, I saw my uncle go to, the, go to hell. <laughs> and I was like, um, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I went to the altar. And from that moment on, I spent my childhood, my teenage years, as a Christian, like praying when nobody was looking because I was afraid they'd laugh at me, right? I would, I would fast and not tell my parents about it, right? I would read my Bible and I did all these things because I wanted to make sure that God loved me. See, in my mind, I was sick and the medicine was prayer, reading my Bible, fasting, all these things. And I was trying to make myself better, 
And I thought that if I could do this, if I could do enough good, it would outweigh the bad and God would forgive me. And what happens is as I was doing this, I was still struggling with sins. I was still struggling with things in life and I was still struggling, 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 but then I would do good, but then I would struggle again and, and I'd give into temptation or I'd give into whatever that sin was. And, and it was like, as I was doing this, the, the guilt and the shame would pile up, pile up. So even then when I would do good, it's like I couldn't enjoy the good because I was still covered in shame and guilt. And it's just this circle of not finding victory leads to depression, leads to anxiety, leads to this picture of I'm trying and trying and trying and I can never win. I read an article by a guy named, let me see if I, Tim Geiger. See if I can find it on here. Yeah, Tim Geiger. And he said it like this. He said, over the years, that guilt and shame compounded in my soul with interest. It was like accumulating credit card debt. I had made a thousand small impulse purchases, purchases and I couldn't ever pay off the balance. The burden felt increasingly crushing. Spending your whole life trying to pile up enough good that God will love me. And then I learned that there was nothing that I could do, that my salvation, my righteousness, the love that God gave me was only going to come from him. God alone can save me. God alone can reach out and give me this grace. So if you go to if you go to Ephesians 8 or Ephesians 2 verses 8 through 10, it says God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It was a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we could do good things he planned for us long ago. God saved you by his grace when you believed. This, this idea that I'm spiritually dead comes with a freedom knowing that God paid the price. Thank God there was a gap that was created, a gap that was created with these broken relationships. And that gap had to be answered for because God is perfect. He is just, he is holy, and sin can't be in his presence. So what did he do? He sent his son to die on the cross. This is the gospel, right? He gave his life. He filled that gap. He covered it. He came down out of heaven. I was so sinful and dead, not sick, but dead in complete darkness. And God loved me so much that he went into that darkness and he saved me. He died on the cross. But there's this, there's this tension here. And up to this point, up to this point, most Christians, all Christians, would agree that the Bible is inherent, like we talked about last week, and that we are all completely spiritually dead. But then somehow, if I'm dead and I now have life, we have to answer, how did that happen? Are you tracking with me? This is, is kind of heavy stuff. So I need you to track with me, okay? So God died for our sins, and salvation is ours through faith by believing. But there's kind of two different ways that this is looked at. See, one of them, God raises us from the dead, and he chooses who is saved, right? He chooses some that have eternal life and some that don't. 
And this, is, this makes sense. If, if God's all about his glory, he's all about his glory, and we're dead, there's no way for us to know him, so he had to do something. And so what did he do? He reached out and grabbed us. I heard one illustration that said, you know, a, a pastor, he was a dad, and he said, if my son was running with full speed into a busy highway, I reached out and I kept him from running into that highway. And so we as Christians are running to our death, running into that highway, and God reaches out and grabs us the ones that are saved, the ones that he predestined to be saved, right? There's another one that says that, that, that uh, God is on a highway. And as he's going down the highway, there's turtles littered all over the road. And every now and then he stops and picks up the turtle. And, it, and those that are saved are saved because God stopped and picked us up. But he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to because he is mighty and above all. But to me... This paints a bad picture of who God is. Because if I have two kids that are running to the street, why would I only save one if I have the ability to save two? And if God's all about the glory and he's on this highway to his glory and he stops to pick up one turtle, why would he run over the other, right? And this is where there's some, some kind of big terms, but one of the terms is double predestination, right? And so that the double is God predestines before time to set some to go to heaven and some to go to hell. Predestines two different people, right? And the problem with this that I have, and there's theologians, listen, there's people who have spent a lot more time than me studying this that disagree with me, but there's also people who have spent just as much time that agree with me. So, you know, if you have to believe one, which one are you going to believe? Okay, but that's the reason and we're talking about the Bible. Okay, so anyways, here we are. Why would God, why would God choose to save me? He would predestine me to go to heaven, but predestine Addie Lee to go to hell. That's a God that I have a trouble worshiping. It would be hard for me to sit in here and say, you know what? How great is our God that he reached down out of heaven, pulled me out of darkness for his glory but he also is going to allow my daughter to spend eternity in hell for his glory. I think this paints a very bad picture of who Jesus is, of who God is, right? And so we still have to answer for the fact that we're dead though. So what, how, do we, how do we get to this place where if we're dead, but God died for all, right? Whoever should believe, John three sixteen. whoever, all. He wishes that, no, that all would come to know God, that none should perish. That, that's scripture, so if the Bible says these things, how do we get there? Let me just read some of these verses, all right? So, so you have Isaiah 155. God says to come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters and he who has money, come, he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. John 12, 32 says, and I, when I am lifted up from earth, will draw all people to myself. John 6, says, for no one can come to me, starts with God, unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And in the last day, I will raise them up. You see the picture that's happening here? There's a God that's drawing. There's a God that says, hey, there's this, there's this light, but he gives us the ability to choose. 
gives us, there's a big difference here. And the, the word is, is prevenient grace. Okay, this is preceding grace. You know what I mean? Preceding, it goes before. So before salvation, there's a Holy Spirit, there's a drawing, there's a grace that goes before. I like to think of it, uh, so if you think about um, me and I love sweets, right? I'm, I'm a sweet addict, okay? I admit it, don't judge me, okay? Every tooth in my head is sweet. I, cake, Donuts, cookies, candy, all the C's, right? I love sweets. And if we were here now and I'm up here and I'm preaching and there's a buffet of sugar in the lobby, right? I know it's there and it's calling me, right? And it would be a terrible message because I would be distracted thinking about the sweet nectar that's on the other side of that wall, right? And so that would be calling me. It would be drawing me. I'd be wanting it, right? But what if, what if I'm in a cave, right? When I was a little kid, I went on this field trip where we were inside of a cave, and for a little bit, they cut all the lights off. When they cut all the lights off, it's utter darkness, right? Utter darkness. You can't see anything. I couldn't see my hand in front of my face, my buddy that was standing next to me. There was nothing. So imagine I'm in that cave, and that same buffet of sweetness is two feet beside me. I would never know it's there. You see the picture? Complete utter darkness. You don't even know God is there. I don't even know the sweets are there. But what if, what if God's grace was so powerful? What if God was so powerful, omnipotent, above all, that he could penetrate that darkness and just put a little light there? What happens? In utter darkness, when a light shines, it lights up the whole room. And I know that cake is there. And in that moment, I've got a choice, right? And this is where the illustration kind of falls apart because cake's not good for me, right? But Jesus is good for you, I promise. But in that moment, I can say, hey, I'm going to eat this cake or I'm going to not. I'm going to eat the cake. I'm just saying, all right? But it lights up. If we go to to John chapter 1, John chapter 1 says this. This is uh, verses 6 through 9. It says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light, so that everyone, everyone might believe because of the testimony of John, because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He pointed to the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. Who's the light? Jesus, right? John is there testifying about Jesus, pointing to Jesus. And verse nine says this, the one who is the true light gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. To everyone, this, to everyone. In the Greek, that means everyone, everybody. You see what's happening here? There's, there's none without excuse because the Holy Spirit and his powerful grace comes in before we ever have the ability to know God and illuminates, he, he, he sets our, our will free. We talk about free will, right? We talk about free will and we believe in free will, but, but it's not really fair to say free will. Because we believe that we are totally, completely corrupt. There's no way for us to choose God. If, even if we have free will, we do not have the ability to choose good, right? If good is the wheat and bad is the meat and we're the lion in the cage, on our own free will, we're going to take the meat. But because of God's grace penetrating that cave, penetrating the darkness, we now have a freed will. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference? Our will has now been set free to choose the good. 
So God comes into the darkness. He comes into our life while we are still spiritually dead in utter darkness and lights up the fact that he is good. Lights up the fact that he can save us, that he could change our life. And in that moment, he sets our, free, our will free so that we can either respond or resist. And this is why this is important. Because if we look at the Bible, where we base our theology, it teaches that we are completely dead. If you believe that you have an ability to save yourself, even if it's partially, if you even believe that I can get out and meet God halfway, or I can help myself, you're never gonna be saved because you can't do it on your own. The Bible teaches that we are spiritually dead. But the Bible also teaches that that God would love that all would be saved. It teaches that over and over again that we are to respond, that we are to come. We read those verses that, we, that he draws us. It says, come everyone who thirsts. John 16, 8 through 11 says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of the world has judged. Romans 2, 4 says that, or do you presume that the riches of his kindness kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. There's this leading, there's this drawing, there's this coming forward, there's this action that's put on us over and over again. When you see scripture, you see that God is divine. He is above all, but there is human responsibility. Look at the the rich young ruler. God tells him to sell everything and come follow me. And in that moment, he walks away brokenhearted. He doesn't choose to follow Jesus. Now there's lots of verses and Bible all over the place where you could take and, and kind of twist some things and interpret things some certain ways. And, and that's not for today's message because we only have 30 minutes. But I, I mean, I can unpack Romans 9 or I can unpack the verse in Peter where it says we're all predestined before the foundations of earth, right? We, this is, there's a difference between God knowing we're there and then predestining us because he knows how it's gonna outplay. It, it's, it's in the weeds, all right? And, and I'd love to have that conversation. If you want me to preach on, on that, let me know and I will. Or we can have a conversation, go get coffee, but it's not for today. Today, what I want, what I want us to see is that we are spiritually dead until God sends his light, sends Jesus into our lives, illuminates that, and we now have the ability to choose to follow him. It's the way, this theology, this understanding answers the questions of how can we be totally dead and still have the ability to choose? And this is why it's important. It's important because it shapes our life and our calling, right? It shapes our ministry. If all have the ability to be saved, then it's a calling on our life to go out and spread that light, to be like John and testify to the light that's changed us. It shapes our ministry. It shapes our motives. It shapes how we face a new life. But it also, it also saves us from a bad image of God, from the image of God where he's running over turtles on his highway to glory from an image of God where he, he creates people for hell. That's not the Bible. That doesn't, if you, if you follow God throughout all of the scripture, it doesn't make sense for who he is. It saves us from this monstrous image of, of God that is, is talked about. God 
is about his glory, I promise you. But God is also love. And he can get his glory. He doesn't need to create people for hell so that he can have glory. God doesn't need that. And so the the challenge is this. The challenge is this. When you look at your life, do you see a history of trying to save yourself? Do you see a history of falling short, of trying to do all this good to outweigh the bad? Do you see a history of, you know what, I'm good enough to get into heaven? Or do you see a history of, of God saying, I reached out and I saved you and I'm making you new and I'm transforming you? It's kind of heavy, <laughs> but this is, this is foundational as we go forward in this series. We have to understand that God reaches out reveals himself to us, that we can have freedom and know him because he first took the step. That's the sign of love. That yet while we were still sinners, God died for us and his light can penetrate the darkness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your light. We thank you that you draw us in. My prayer is that as you're drawing people that they wouldn't resist that they will know that that drawing is you and they'll surrender their life. Lord, I'll pray now out loud like we pray for Addie Lee every night that as a young age, Lord, you'll be drawing her in. You'll be drawing her even now. And when it comes time for her to know you and surrender her life to you, that she would. Lord, we don't just pray that for Addie Lee, but we pray that for our whole community. We pray that that your drawing and your Holy Spirit is going before and you're shining a light into all these dark situations and that you would use us to testify to that light. That someone says, oh, that's what this is about. As we tell them about Jesus and we can see people's lives transformed, that they would step out of utter darkness and that your light would wrap them up, that their sins would be forgiven and that they could enter into eternal life with you. Lord, let us, let us fall in love with your word and continue studying who you are and learning about you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, thank you guys.